Today's scripture reading can be found in Genesis uh, chapter 1. The first part is uh, verses 26 to 28. And then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And the second part is uh, Genesis chapter 3, verses uh, 15 through 19. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through, pain, through painful toil you eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. The word of the Lord. Uh, so today we're starting a sermon series on faith and politics. So when you talk about faith and politics, you bring out a big crowd the first week. <laughs> we'll see what next week holds. So if it's about half, you know, maybe I did my job right, wrong, I'm not really sure. I hope that it'll be a encouraging series in some ways, that you will be uh, encouraged uh, the, in your own faith, in your own walk, uh, but I also hope that you'll be challenged, right? Because I've been challenged as I've been going through this series, encouraged and challenged. Uh, before we uh, dive in, uh, and also I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for everyone that filled out the survey. So this is the fruit of my Doctor of Ministry program. Uh, this is like my, my project, right? How do you talk about faith, politics, and the church? And I do encourage you, even if you didn't fill out the survey, please come next week to our Christian Ed Hour, because I'll be adding a little bit more, some things that I, I'm not able to say in the actual message, uh, and then we'll be discussing. So it should be a, a fun time. Uh, and that'll be in the sanctuary or on Zoom at 8.30. But before we do any of that, let's jump into prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this series. Uh, thank you that you help us to walk through life in all things, whether it's family, parenting, politics, simply knowing you, Lord. We pray that this series would glorify you and that you would be edified and that your church would be edified, Lord. And I pray a special prayer that as we go through this series, this would not cause division, Lord, but this would actually bring unity, unity in Christ, unity through your word. That even when we don't disagree on everything, that we would still find complete agreement and who Jesus is, and his beauty and worthiness. It's him we love. It's in his name we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if you were to describe our sort of political landscape today, would you describe uh, a beautiful, lush forest? <laughs> you know, our, our um, America the Beautiful song talks about amber waves of grain, Right, purple mountains, a fruited plain, 
But I think most of us, as we look at our world and the situation and the time that we, that we live in, we probably wouldn't describe it that way. <laughs> we probably describe it more like a desert. Now, I sent out some slides through email so you can look at those and try not to look too far ahead. kind of spoils the message. But I also printed out a few, so th those have all been taken. So if you have one, great. But we do have those, and they're also on our Facebook group. And so we, the, we have a picture of just like a desert. And so if you don't have the slides, you can just imagine like sand dunes, a desert, some scraggly weeds off to the side. Does that feel like what our political landscape sort of looks like right now and feels like to us? But if you were looking at that political desert and you saw a tiny little like scraggly tree breaking through the hard packed soil, the hard packed sand, what would that do for you? Could that inspire you? You'd be like, oh, there's, there's something here. There's a, there's a sign of life. Yeah, like a coyote just ran by and there's like a snake and a cactus. There's like this, this beautiful tree just like breaking through. And what if, what if the way you went about living in that desert and the, the things you did and the work you did could actually begin to transform like this small little patch, not the whole desert, but just like the small little patch in which you find yourself from a desert into a garden. And if you knew it would take lots and lots of work, it would take humility, it would take patience and faith, would you do it? Uh, there's a retired couple in northern China uh, that is doing this in reality. It's not in politics, but there's an actual desert up there in northern China, and they're slowly uh, transforming this desert, their little patch of it, into a forest. And they're planting these drought-resistant uh, sakal trees. So they're very, like, scraggly, very bushy. Like, they would, they're like what you would expect if you saw a tree in the desert. Uh, but they provide shade. They provide life. They provide nourishment in this harsh environment. This couple has been spending the last 15 years planting enough trees uh, and it's grown, and they've seen success, but then they've also had, like, winds come along and just blow their trees down, right? They get this beautiful tree. The wind comes, blows it down. They've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars. They've faced hardship and setback, and yet they've transformed 165 acres of desert into a forest. See, when they looked at the desert, they had a vision of a garden. They had a vision of a forest. And that changed how they lived in the desert. Because of that, because of the things they did and how they were engaging, they were able to transform not all of it, but a little bit of it. And I know when I look at the, the political landscape, it does feel a little bit like a desert, but I'd like to capture a vision of flourishing. Because I think the Bible actually gives us a vision of flourishing in our world that we can use as a guide, as a pathway for how we engage in our culture and in politics today. I believe God calls Christians to kind of be like that retired couple, doing the hard work of planting drought-resistant sakal trees. It's hard, it's painstaking. But what if we could transform just a little patch of that desert into a forest? We'd probably face lots of hardships. The winds would come and blow our stuff down. But if we were doing what God called us to, it would make all the difference in the world, wouldn't it? See, I believe that God created politics to help creation flourish. 
Christ. I believe like God actually created politics. So most of us probably think of politics sort of like a bad joke, right? Like, so what do you get when you mix religion and politics? Politics, <laughs> right? You, you mix like a, a, a chocolate cake with dirt, you get dirt. <laughs> That's probably how most of us think about politics or maybe like nuclear energy, right? Like it has potential for good, but didn't they create the atomic bomb with nuclear energy too? But what if God wants to redeem some of these things? What if God wants to use them for good? See, I believe God actually invented politics. And just that little truth there kind of begins to change how we see politics. It's not just a necessary evil, but God, something God gave humankind to order creation for the good of others, for the flourishing of our world. So if you go back to Genesis 1, and I'm not going to read all of Genesis 1. Luke, Lucas did a good job of, of reading through it. Right? But let, Genesis 1 starts in like this chaotic uh, sort of void, emptiness, nothingness, formlessness that God then takes and he orders and he fashions and he creates it into stars and planets and our world and plants and animals and vegetables and watermelons and dinosaurs. He takes the chaos, he brings order and beauty out of it. And that's actually meant to be a model for how we interact with our world. And I know this because it's actually in Scripture. <laughs> I want to read verses 26 through 28 again and talk about it a little bit. 26 starts like this. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God makes everything, and then he makes mankind, humankind, in his image. Male and female perfectly uh, reflect this sort of divine image. And what does that mean? Well, that actually means God gave them authority. God gave them dominion. God said, hey, come, come, like, order the chaos with me. <laughs> come, come make this, this, this messiness into something that's a little bit more beautiful, a little bit better. In fact, God gave humankind dominion. He uses that word twice. God, actually, in verses 26 and verses 28, God kind of repeats himself. Have dominion over the world. He really wanted us to get it. And when we think of dominion, like, do most of us think, like, oh, it's great when someone has dominion over me. <laughs> you probably think, like, my boss has dominion over me. Well, dominion was not meant to be exploitative lordship, right? Where we just take creation, we just do whatever we want with it. We take people, we do whatever we want with them. No, dominion is this idea of stewardship. Stewardship. To be a steward is to, to be a gardener. Right? To take something that's there and make it better. To, to be good stewards is to be like good servants. It's entrusted to us. We take the messy goodness of creation and we order it so that there's even more goodness. We sort of work on that messiness as we go. And the word fruitful, like be fruitful and multiply, 
Verse 28, it means flourish. Flourish. This series called, is called Faith and Flourishing in Politics, and it starts right here in Genesis 1. We're not just to like milk everything we can out of creation until it's a dry, barren desert, but we're to be gardeners, planting trees. The trees in our world, in society, in culture, in government, to help all these things reach its best potential. So when I talk about flourishing, I kind of mean this idea of like the common good, what's good for all. This idea that the Bible will later call, we'll get into this later in our series, shalom, right? Seeking the best for those around us. I drove up to the White Mountains this summer, and I've told you a little bit about this, and I hiked near Crawford Notch State Park. I think I was sort of in the park. And in 1771, so like travel back in time for a minute, there was a lot of trees there and some mountains <laughs> and a lot of beauty. Uh, but you could say it's sort of like this chaotic, f formless place where like people really weren't living and doing their thing. And there was a hunter named Timothy Nash, and he had a vision. He had a vision of flourishing, of bringing some of that chaos into order. See, he wanted to make a route through the mountains and begin to do like commerce and travel through there. And he, he had heard that there was a, a trail through the mountains that the Native Americans talked about. He wanted to make that a reality, and so he talked to the governor, Governor John Wentworth, and he made a deal with him that if he could get a horse through the pass, he could have some land and build a road. And so that's what he did. He got the tamest farm horse he could find. He, he put ropes on it and like had to actually lower it down some boulders, uh, and he got the horse through the pass. And if you, if you do look at the slides, you can also imagine for me 250 years later, right, Timothy Nash's vision of bringing flourishing to the chaos of the forest has become a reality, right? Now you can, we can all drive up there and go for hikes. You can hike Mount Avalon. You can hike Mount Willard like what I did. You can ride the Cog Railway. <laughs> like you can ride a train up to the top of Mount Washington. Has anyone here done that? I have not yet done that. Pretty cool, right? <laughs> lowering a horse with robes to riding a railway up to a mountain peak. There's this, the Mount Washington uh, Hotel, which you drive by and you're like, wow, this is amazing. This is a beautiful grand hotel in the middle of this forest. And I think that's a picture of what God intended for our world, for creation, for politics, right? There's disorder, there's a forest, there's hardness, there's boulders. Take that and rearrange it to make flourishing, to make something beautiful that we can all benefit and we can all enjoy. See, that's what God did when God invented politics. <laughs> God created politics to be one mechanism, one tool in which we do that. God created politics to help creation flourish. So what happened? <laughs> what the heck happened? Why is politics a joke? Why has politics gone nuclear? Why are we living in a political desert? Well, human selfishness corrupted the good of politics. When God called Adam and Eve to the garden, right, he called them as stewards, he gave them one command, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But this was really a question, do you trust me? Do you want to rule with me, govern with me over the creation, or do you want to do it by yourself? 
Do you want to do it according to my laws and my ways, or do you want to do it according to your ways? It doesn't take long looking into our world, looking at each other, looking at our politics today, that we see that like, we chose the desert, right? We chose a different way. We wanted to do it our way instead of God's way. And this is what happened when, the, uh, when Satan, the serpent, tempted Adam and Eve, and they, they, they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here's the consequence, Genesis 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made loincloths. See, when humanity chose to dwell with God, there was happiness, contentment, ruling together. But as soon as humanity said, I'm going to do it my way, as soon as selfishness reared its ugly head, there was this corruption, this brokenness that entered into creation, this naked shame, just feeling exposed, feeling raw, feeling like I have to hide. And then all relationships have then functioned in that sort of nakedness, that shame, right? Humankind now is at odds with one another. There's mistrust, and there's mistrust with our relationship with God. And ever since then, politics has been marred, right? You want to govern, you want to rule? Okay, but you're going to do it your way, and then there's going to be brokenness because you're going to do it your own way. You're going to choose to do it for your camp instead of for the common good. Instead of for the flourishing of all creation, you're going to do it for your own personal private flourishing. And then we begin to think this way, even as Christians today, right? There's us, there's them, they're the bad guys, we're the good guys. My political party is good, their political party is bad. But here's the truth of Genesis 3 that we're going to get into in just a moment, is that the curse, the fall, runs through all of us. Runs through all political systems, all systems of flourishing, all attempts at bringing order to the chaos. I was reading one author, and I ran into this very interesting uh, illustration of Vaclav Havel. Most of us probably don't know who that was, but he was the former president of the Czech Republic. He was imprisoned for resisting the communists back in the 1970s and 80s. And when he was released from prison, he was elected president. And many were surprised because they thought he was going to use his power, his dominion, to, uh, to punish his political enemies. And instead, he was noticeably forgiving towards them. And he reminded the Czech people of this when he was criticized for this. He said, the line between good and evil did not run clearly between them and us, but through each person. The line between good and evil doesn't run just through them and us, but through each of us. See, human selfishness, my selfishness, corrupts the good of politics. And I want to confess that about myself, that for much of my life, right, I've seen politics as the way that I can, I can win, that I can prove to be right, that I can somehow gain something over those I disagree with, and I judge them, and I lift up myself. And I don't want to approach that politics that way anymore. And I think Genesis helps us see that. Like, we need to, to see this a different way, that the wrongness of Genesis 3 that we're about to read gets into each and every one of us. A pastor friend told me this joke. He said, a pastor was out for a walk and noticed one of his parishioners tending his garden. The pastor said to the man, that's a fine garden you and the Lord have together. The man replied, thank you, but you should have seen it 
when the Lord had it by himself. See, politics, right, when we get in the garden, something bad happens. Politics now are caught between the state of flourishing in Genesis 1 and the state of fallenness in Genesis 3. Between flourishing and fallenness. And we see this in, in the passage that Lucas read, verse 16. To the woman, he says, this is God cursing Eve because of the sin. This is the consequences of their choosing to do it their own way. I will surely bring you, I will, I will surely multiply your pain and childbirth. and pain you shall bring forth your children. Your desire, desire shall be contrary to your husband and he shall rule over you. Right? So no, creation, right? We're supposed to, man and, and woman, male and female, husband and wife, People, we're supposed to have this dominion together, ruling over creation, and suddenly now it's about one dominating the other. Do you see how like the social relationships, the family uh, has been distorted, that all of humankind has been distorted? Now, no longer is it about me serving your best interest, bringing about your flourishing. It's me dominating you. Everything's been corrupted, work, social relationships, and even political work. God says this to man. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So God invented all of work, right? He, 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 he invented stewardship, rule, politics, gardening, you know, everything God invented for good. But then the fall took these things and corrupted them, just kind of marred them so that things are no longer bent towards good. They're sort of, they're sort of bent towards corruption and fallenness. And now politics are caught between flourishing and fallenness. Monica created a garden this summer from scratch. We had this little plot of dirt in our yard. It was almost desert-like, I'd say. Like there was nothing there. There was like weeds and, and dirt. She envisioned a flourishing garden in that little p patch. So she laid a base. Uh, she built a little cinder block wall. She put a wire mesh cover around it, over it, laid a greenhouse tarp, began to water it, put seeds. Pretty soon, what happened? We got kale, <laughs> Swiss chard, radishes, peas, carrots, carrots, and basil. Basil. We got basil <laughs> from our little plot of desert. <laughs> With some order, some some tools, some working, we got like vegetables. But it's also been challenging because critters have gotten into this garden, eaten parts of the garden, have have been infected with bugs and fungus. So I try not to eat too much off those plants. And this summer's been rainy, which has been great. It's been helpful, but that also can create problems. See, our garden, we envisioned something, we saw like the state of flourishing, and it does flourish, but it's limited. It's not full flourishing. And that's politics. See, politics lives somewhere between what is and what ought to be. See, we can hope for the best. This, this, this transforms and changes how we approach our world. We can hope for the best, realizing it's always going to fall a little bit short, sometimes really short. And so when your heart gets overwhelmed by our world, by our culture, take a step back and remember, like, yes, God created this for good, but we also live in this state of disappointment and corruption. So I believe Christians can engage with hope that God can take some of our work and make it last, make it beautiful and worthwhile. 
but we should also not be too overly expectant because we understand that we live in a broken and fallen world. And so here's our ultimate hope because we don't just live between Genesis 1 and Genesis 3. We actually live in the New Testament too, like past that when, when Christ has come, the Redeemer has come. See, Jesus can redeem all things, even politics, for good. God cursed Adam and Eve, yes, but first he cursed the serpent. First he cursed Satan. Genesis 3, 15 says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So what's this about? What is this? Well, it's that one of Eve's offspring, one of her great, 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 great grandchildren is a garden rescuer. See, Adam and Eve, after the curse, they've, they're kind of cast out into the desert of, of this world. But there's a garden rescuer who's going to come and restore that paradise. But he's actually going to do it through his own suffering, his own bruising. He shall bruise your head. The serpent will bruise the garden rescuer's uh, heel. And the garden rescuer will bruise his head. Who's going to win? The garden rescuer. <laughs> but it's going to cost him something. It's going to cost him a flesh wound. And we see that in Jesus, right? Did you know that when Jesus rose from the grave, so he was crucified, he died, he rose from the grave, the very first thing he was mistaken for, the very first person he was mistaken for was a gardener. Mary Magdalene, when she saw him, she's like, where have you put him? She's thinking he was the gardener. Jesus has come to restore a flourishing forest from a desert. And so true and ultimate flourishing is only possible through knowing Christ Jesus. It's kind of challenging to preach a series on faith and politics and flourishing in our world because you can work towards flourishing in the world, but ultimate flourishing is only possible through that ultimate relationship with God. Doesn't mean we try to force the relationship of, with God on others. It just means that's how we live. That's how we breathe is through first knowing God. And so how do we see this in our world? It's hard, it's complicated, it's difficult. I was listening to another pastor preach, and I'm going to close with this illustration. Uh, but he reminded me of another figure in history that had slipped my mind, William Wilberforce. Any of you familiar with him? I read his book, Real Christianity, a long time ago. Uh, but he's famous because he helped in the slave trade in England. He was elected to the House of Commons in 1780, uh, but he wasn't a Christian yet. He actually became a, a follower of Christ a couple years later. And his mentor, his childhood pastor, and his mentor as he grew older was John Newton. If you know John Newton, he was a slaver uh, who came to Christ and he wrote the song Amazing Grace. And Wilberforce believed that his faith was supposed to impact the world. And so in 1787, he introduced legislation to end slavery. And that was like the first time he like began to introduce it over and over and over again and get defeated and setbacks. So what was he doing? He was planting sakal trees, little scrubby bushes in the desert. And he did see progress. He saw some, some progress in 1807 when slavery was ended for new slaves. And there was still many, many people caught in slavery. It wasn't until 1833 that the Slavery Abolition Act passed in England, and then William Wilberforce died three days later. 
He'd been, since he started that, seen it to its completion, it was 46 years. So this vision of flourishing, if God wills, it may be possible, but it's not easy. And so that's what we'll be talking about in this series. How can we as Christians, how can we as followers of Jesus try to seek the flourishing of our world? How can we try to seek this transformation of just a little plot of the desert into a garden? Because I believe that Jesus came to redeem all things, even politics, for good. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is our gardener and that he has come to redeem all things. Would he take our world through us, transform it into something good, bring a little bit of that order to the chaos? It takes a lot of wisdom and a lot of insight for how to do this, Lord. And I don't know exactly how we do it. Help us to think about this, to process, to discern in our own lives how you're leading us to seek the flourishing of our world. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.